Give me the bleach balls and bleach my hole. <laughs> it's the song is about bleaching your asshole. That's a it's a phenomenon I'd never heard about till Life of Pablo came. What about instead of the Beach Boys, it's the Bleach Boys, and all their songs are about bleaching your asshole, like uh. I guess my hole wasn't made for these guys. <laughs> I want a bleached hole. <laughs> Pretty good, I'm huh? I'm so tired, I just want a bleached That's Sloop John B, but... Yeah. <laughs> uh, okay. You have, to, you have to make a few concessions to make it work, but... Yeah. Okay, uh... I guess my hole wasn't made for these guys. Um, I want a bleached hole. Um, what are the other? Big Wouldn't it be nice <laughs> if we just bleached all of our big furry assholes? They're getting too hairy for the times. <laughs> we need to catch up with the rest of these guys. Good stuff. All the good shit. Good contents. <laughs> Welcome to the Trill Billies in 2020. <laughs> Take it off right, baby. We're going to do... We're the... Uh, okay, you know about the mythical or semi-mythical wrecking crew who... The session musicians led by Glenn Campbell who basically created Pet Sounds. Right, right. Uh, which is crazy if you ever read about because they like... Use like empty Coke cans for percussion and everything on that. It's very, very punk rock, even though it doesn't sound that way. Yeah. Uh, so we're kind of like the wrecking crew for bleached asshole songs, <laughs> like, like perverted <laughs> songs. Yes, that's right. The Glenn Campbell of <laughs> dick songs. <laughs> yep. Uh, before we go any further, before, if you are the 30% of the audience who won't listen to a single minute of this podcast if Tanya's not on it, <laughs> Go ahead and <laughs> wait for the next one. Sincerely apologize. She will be on the Patreon this weekend, however. That's a dope-ass blanket you got there. Thanks. Thanks, bro. Um, uh, what was he going to say? Oh, the Patreon. Yeah. The, um, the best content is over at the pa- I I like how I had this idea, like, uh, you know... We we're gonna take a break, but we're gonna keep doing the Patreon. I was like, this is a genius business idea. Yeah. We're gonna get all kinds of new patrons. We lost twenty six <laughs> patrons. We lost upwards of three dozen patrons. I'm like, this is what it looks like when socialists try to do business. <laughs> yeah. When you try to make commerce and not art, this is what happens. This is what happens. Um, Our bad. Yeah, but. Tanya will be over there at Patreon, so head on over there before you turn this one off, which I know you will. <laughs> um, Yeah, no, new year. First episode of the new year, huh? Yeah, no, usually we kick it off with a very special guest. We've yeah. Had, we've had Max Elbaum, we've had Nick Offerman, we've had... Yeah. Well, I guess Us talking about J.D. Vance. J.D. Vance. <laughs> and I guess that's it. Yeah, right, right. This is not. This is round four. Well, you know, here we are three years later. Um, damn, three years later, huh? Or wait, two years. It's only been three, two. not three. Well, 
2017. So, oh fuck, you're right. <laughs> it's 2020. <laughs> yeah. Fuck. Yeah. We've been We're doing three years this in, Dad. piece of shit for this long. Yeah. <laughs> Just growing at the slowest fucking pace. Yeah. <laughs> it's all right, man. It's the. Well, it took three years for us to get here, and it took three years for JD Vance to get his venture capital firm off the ground. So, hey, similar revenues, <laughs> right? Similar, uh, you know, scale of influence. So. Right, right. Yeah. Um, three years. Uh, there was something I was gonna say about the JD Vance thing. Like I, so I, <laughs> like, I mean, I I try not to talk about. J- I've been withholding my JD Vance take for a few years, but you know what? It's a new year, so fuck it. Let's let's get all our cards out on the table. Let's do it. I don't think JD Vance really matters. <laughs> He's irrelevant. He's, well, you see his latest grift going around today. Well, okay. So, yeah, his latest grift is the VC thing. But the funny thing about it was, like, we're going to be investing in hard-hit places like Atlanta. Salt Lake Salt City. Lake. <laughs> I'm sure, I'm not saying these, well, Atlanta's for sure not without its problems. I'm not saying Salt Lake City or, what was the other one, Cincinnati? I think so. Right, maybe they're based out of Cincinnati. I, I Oh, it's Raleigh. Raleigh. Yeah, it's one of the ch- cities in the Triangle. I think it's Raleigh. Okay, okay. Yeah, uh, that ain't exactly uh, Jackson, Harlan, and Hazard. <laughs> <laughs> well, my line on J.D. Vance, it's not that he doesn't matter. It's just that Hillbilly Elegy doesn't really matter. No. It's... I've tried to make this argument many times at parties, and people have looked at me very skeptically like, bro, what the fuck are you talking about? Well... You know, there's still we still like to. I've gone horseshoe theory on hillbilly. You actually think it's good now? <laughs> when people bring it up to me, when I'm out, when I'm out of the capital R region, and people okay. are like, oh, "I'll write about where you live," then I'll write about hillbilly elegy. I'll be like, "That's right. That's a good book." Now I say that. <laughs> you just totally sell it down the river. Yeah. <laughs> people are like, "Aren't you the guy who did the?" Who got... Yeah, yeah, yeah. New year, new man. Didn't you make your name on J.D. Vance being a piece of shit? And you know what? I did. I did. And... We probably owe him a royalty. (laughs) As a result, I now have the right to do a full 180 and say, all of you who listened to us and bought into what we said and agreed with us, you're all idiots. You bunch of dupes. <laughs> this is our heel turn, baby. This is NWO shirts coming out here. <laughs> Gosh damn it. No, this isn't even a good bit. The actual serious thing about J.D. Vance here is that I think Hillbilly Elegy is... I mean, if... Okay. What's the traditional argument for a Hillbilly Elegy about why it's bad? Can Culture you... of poverty thesis couched as memoir to insulate it from criticism. <laughs> Good job. But, like, how does it, like, how does it go from that to what some people take it as, which is it's perpetuating stereotypes, therefore it's bad. It's on the scale of what, you know, the killing fields and Pol Pot's regime. (laughs) Yeah, I can't get that with it. I mean, like, I don't, okay, if people were using it in the halls of congress as like 
a blueprint for fucking over the region. If they were like, all right, we've got this book and we got to fucking murder those hillbillies, then yeah, it would be like Mein Kampf. But it's just a dumbass book written by a dumbass. And like, Trump doesn't even care about Appalachia. Like, no one cares about Appalachia. <laughs> <laughs> Sad reality. The only bad thing about it is that tr- that J.D. Vans became, like, a millionaire off of it, but he was already, like, a millionaire, wasn't he? Wasn't yeah. he working in, like, VC? He was working for Peter Till. For Peter Till, yeah. And and also, he's probably going to make a man off his Netflix movie. Oh, yeah, absolutely. That's just pretty. Absolutely. Well, it all comes back to the thing is, are hillbillies oppressed because... They're hillbillies, or are they oppressed because of capital and capitalism? And I think that the people who really hate Hillbilly Elegy and J.D. Vance say that it's be- that the region is so fucked up because of the stereotypes, you know? They're out there. They're be- being perpetuated. People love to say perpetuating stereotypes. Right. And for me, it's it's more like it, it has more to do with the shit that's in the ground and the trees, you know, the yeah. the natural resources rather than... This place, I mean, this place isn't being oppressed because of the people that live here. It's being oppressed because of the, the resources, resources that uh, we are, you know. Right. The closest people by that can pick and dig them. Right. And but, and then so, like, once you get into that corner, then people say... Which is interesting, too, because Hillbilly Elgin doesn't mention coal mining at all. No, you're right. Not once. <laughs> which is an interesting omission. If you're talking about a, a place that's so defined by one resource in particular, it it mentions coal miners, but you're right; it doesn't mention coal mining like as a practice or like the history or anything. It's just like, yeah, these people in my family were coal miners. Right, right. That's it. Yeah. Well, the thing is, is like when you press people on that, they say, well, it allows wealthy capitalists to further exploit the region because then they've dehumanized the people that live here, and it's like. Look, they're already doing that. Been they, doing that well they, before Hillbilly Elegy was there. They do that anyways wherever they go. Yeah. That's just the nature of capitalism. Yeah. I don't know. I know what you're going for, though. You're going like, if we ignore him, he'll go away. Sort of. I mean, I think that that's also kind of an equally annoying thing. Maybe I'm just trying to be such a contrarian here that I have no real position. Okay. <laughs> that's just a thing somebody wrote. <laughs> Well, I yep. think I think well, I think the bigger and it's just I mean it's to belabor the point. The bigger thing here is just the liberals that run with that. That that is the thing here. They're, they're mostly insidious thing. It's actually the liberal response to it. If they, if if liberals were grounded in enough sort of critique, and particular critique of historical materialism, then it wouldn't be nearly as dangerous or whatever we we call it. Then they wouldn't be liberals. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, they'd be Marxists. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, you're right. It 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 slipped past all of the liberal filters. Yeah. Because you know, again, JD Vance was telling them uh, like why they lost the election in 2016. Yeah. That's really what it comes down to. Yeah. Um they just desperately wanted to understand. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I still think it's interesting though that Jackson, Kentucky sits at the the center of culture. <laughs> Talk about Sturgill Simpson's success. Where you got a speeding ticket today. Where I got a speeding ticket today in Breathitt County. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, I got to go to court in Breathitt County, February 6th. So. I'm not saying that if you ignore him, he'll go away, but I am saying that like all of the energy we expend on trying to deplatform this guy is like... 
I mean, look, man. Go fucking. He's got his platform. Do what I'm doing. Yeah. Go register to send text messages for Bernie and then don't actually do it, but. <laughs> <laughs> but get in the database, but man. Get in the database. <laughs> Go vote. Yeah. Oh, yeah. 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 I do have one question, though. What? That's been. I've been meaning to ask you this for, I guess, three years now. What's that? Why do you pronounce it elegy? Is it elegy? I think so. I think it's one of those things where it doesn't matter. I see. I just thought that was a little contrarian flourish of yours. Because <laughs> I, mean, I remember we were on the Katie Halper show, and I remember Katie said to me, why does he call it elegy? <laughs> have, for three years, have I just been out here acting like a dumbass and no one's corrected me? Or Well, I think everybody just thought, oh, he's smart. He's probably, he's probably right, and we're all probably wrong. <laughs> See, I just never assume that about me. <laughs> I just know the form elegiac, and I guess I just make it the G instead of the G sound. Uh huh. Instead of elegiac. Well, um, no, elegiac sounds great. Why don't we say that? Yeah, you're right. You're right. Elegiac sounds way better than elegiac. That sounds really clunky. Mm. I think I'm onto something here. Yeah, I guess you're right. I guess you're right, and everybody else is wrong. <laughs> Give me the bleach, boys, and bleach my hole. What's going on in the world today? Okay. Besides having a bitchin' blanket over there. All right. Uh, Okay, I have a few things to announce before we get going. Um, So, Tanya will be on the Patreon. I have to announce that if you ordered a t-shirt from us, it is coming. Just give us a goddamn minute. (laughs) You picked... The one podcast where the two most mentally ill people are running. I've also, <laughs> I've also had a number of run-ins with the law. <laughs> a few mental breakdowns. Jail. Uh, <laughs> I mean, you're not dealing with very stable guys here. No, yeah, yeah. You picked the one podcast where the one person who's normal, Tanya, the one person who has doesn't have a lick of mental illness at all. Is not involved in the administration of it. <laughs> yeah. She's the talent only. <laughs> She's only the talent. We're, but the two guys who have the most mental illness are at the wheel. Are so. at the wheel. So we apologize. Your shirt is on the way. Yeah. We got a lot of them out last week. We didn't forget about you. Look, we're not grifters. I mean, we are, but we're not. Not that egregiously. Yeah, we wouldn't. We're smart enough to know that we would never get away with that. We know you would put our shit on blast on the internet. Some of you have. <laughs> <laughs> we're smart enough to know it, and we're working on it. Yeah. So, we've your T-shirts on the way. Um, another announcement I wanted to make, which I'm still not even sure if I even, I've been meaning to make this one for about a month, but I'm still not even sure if I have fully committed to it. Even I might have ba- walked back on it, but I'm trying to move to Lexington. I think so. If you live in Lexington. And you're a landlord. <laughs> Which, why you'd be listening to this show, I don't know. But if you are, right, Lexington, if you're like Kentucky. one of these woke landlords. <laughs> Please. I have two cats, and I cannot find a cheap place. So, Anyways, hit me up in the DM. All right. Let's get on to the news for the week. It is the first, or I guess it's the second week of January. Um, but uh, if you... Or a subscriber to the Patreon, you would have heard our last Patreon episode, which was about Qasem Soleimani and about the whole debacle of Trump 
microwaving the probably the third most important guy in the Middle East. Well, there's a few things that have happened since then. In my opinion, the craziest thing that has happened since then, and we are recording this on January 9th, Thursday, the craziest thing that has happened since we recorded that episode is that it's pretty much completely out of the news. Time, Astonishing. T- time in history is so flat, we have already moved on, baby. We're past the Iran War. <laughs> it's funny. Three days ago, World War Three is imminent. <laughs> Today, I guess Iran won. Yep. As uh, our good buddy Katie Slidinger said in the DM, Iran won a war in two days. Amazing. Um, but if you're confused about how that got happened, I'll just catch you up briefly. Um, so we recorded that on Sunday. When we recorded that, Iraq, the Iraqi parliament had just passed a resolution saying American troops had to withdraw from Iraq. And then what ensued was perhaps the funniest 24 hours in Pentagon history, without a doubt. <laughs> without a doubt. And we're talking about the time that they were hit during 9-11 that nobody talks about. <laughs> Funnier than that, absolutely. Because what happened was that somebody, I don't know who, somebody sent a letter to the Iraqi parliament and said, all right, we're withdrawing our troops. But they didn't say it like so blatantly. I can't remember what the phrase was that they used, but like, we're moving on. Right. It was one of those breakup letters. It was like, it doesn't have to be like this, like... We're just two different people now. Like, you know, you know, you know, when you fuck up and you know you're about to get dumped, and so you know you're just trying to save face at that point and trying to help them out. So, like, that's what it was. It was America basically saying, you know, we'll move on. And then they turned around and said, wait, 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 wait. Actually, we didn't send a letter. What are you talking about? The, te- the letter's non binding. It doesn't it was a actually. Draft. It, it was a never draft. meant to get there. <laughs> and then the Iraqi parliament said, we're treating this as an official letter. There's no takes-backsies. No, no, no take-backsies. <laughs> wi- after which the Pentagon dug its heels in even more. And then there was, like, mass chaos as the Pentagon was trying to f- figure out what the fuck was their line on this. In the meantime, Ira- Iran launched several surface-to-surface missiles at uh, Al-Assad Air uh, military base in Iraq, which is doesn't just have U.S. troops; it has troops from the coalition fighting ISIS, which is like a hundred German troops and twelve Canadian troops, <laughs> six guys from Australia, and that's it. <laughs> right? Um, you know, and while this was going on, nobody died, by the way. Yeah, nobody died uh, from from what we know, anyways. Uh, you know, somebody pointed out, like in the Vietnam War. When America would lose casualties, they would never admit it. <laughs> like, so, and I've always wondered about that. Like, if you were a family member of the person who, quote, didn't die, you know what I mean? Like, yeah. how you're supposed to... I guess to... that's the whole POW thing, though. Right. Yeah. Or just like, if if you know somebody died, but it was embarrassing for your, you know, unit or whatever, you just say they're still at large or whatever. <laughs> right, right. Well, so... um. While this was going on, I guess half the Pentagon had fucking gone home because it was a snow day. They call it a snow day at the Pentagon. So, I mean, have you ever seen that movie In the Loop? It's from the it's from the mid two thousands. Um, and In it's the a loop. I think it's an Arnando Iannucci film. The guy that did Veep. 
I'm, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm pretty sure. I'm not entirely positive. Don't quote me on that. I don't know the movie. I know. I know you. Um, let me look it up real quick. People in the audience are screaming. It is Anucci. Give me the bleach power. Oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> I was just trying to look you found it. <laughs> um, well, basically, it's just like how macabre and hilariously comedic, you know, it is when major powers decide to go to war. Right. You know, and how they'll just grasp at straws for anything and Make um, up shit. Make up shit. And how they're all incompetent, bumbling fucking idiots yeah. driven by their own egos. Who send this. people like from where we come from to just be cannon fodder. <laughs> exactly, so. exactly. Yeah, whose decisions have real world consequences. Yeah. Um, well, it's all I could think of when I was witnessing everything that was going on at the Pentagon on like Tuesday. <laughs> yeah. Um, so like that was, so, you know, at, these missiles are launched. And again, the World War Three things come back on Twitter. People are saying, okay, we actually are going to war. This is war. Iran is retaliating. But then Iran comes out and says, look, we're not interested in a quick response retaliation. What Iran is actually interested in, we pointed this out in the Patreon, Iran is, like we said, they have long-term, you know, strategy they are going to have some sort of long-term retaliation right. that will have meaning <laughs> and like impact um which is not what the american military establishment wanted at all clearly right. clearly they wanted fucking war you right. know what i mean they wanted boots on the ground tanks rolling into tehran the whole night you're right um so then the next day trump has to come out and give a press conference he said he was going to give a press conference tonight that this was happening, Tuesday night. And then fucking, I don't know, decided not to, yeah. for whatever reason. So on Wednesday, he gave this long and rambling press conference, you know, basically saying, like, oh, we're just going to put more sanctions on Iran, et cetera, et cetera. And that's it. Try to look like the bigger guy in the situation. <laughs> right, 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 exactly. Yeah, we started the thing. Oh, Yeah. And now we're going to put more sanction on right. sanctions on them, and that's it. Yeah, I mean, so today I was like, as I was getting ready for this episode, I was like, "Well, has there any has there been any movement on the troop thing? Are are we going to withdraw the troops? Nothing, nothing. There's nothing been written about it since yesterday at all. <laughs> no. Wow. So it's already down the fucking memory yeah. hole. We're already down to Jonathan Chait saying, "You know what? Maybe maybe Bloomberg does make some sense tonight." <laughs> Which means that it is, like, everything else Trump does. Again, like, I, okay, when we did that episode, I was like, well, maybe, you know, maybe it's a little hubristic. Maybe we're a little ridiculous for saying that, you know, Trump's own sort of hu hubris and self-obsession and, uh, you know, power, you know, self-worship and, you know, power drunkenness or whatever is, you know, what caused all this. But no, I'm kind of thinking that, that that that's what it is. Probably right. Just like everything else, just like the fucking travel ban, just like all the fucking executive orders, it's like every other fucking thing. It's just a guy reveling in his own supreme power. Well, let me tell you this. I am uh, I understand having that kind of carte blanche a little bit. <laughs> I'm on my union's bargaining team. Uh-huh. And you know, it's interesting to be a uh, noted figure in the left media scene. That's a joke. 
<laughs> but also show up at the bargaining table and like everybody there's way smarter than me by a factor of 10. Oh yeah, that's my life. My and so life. like what I do is just like try to do a few things here and there to look, you know, certain like I've earned my place. Uh-huh. That's what Trump's was doing with, you know, basically everything atrocious he's done. So I'll just be like, everybody will just be putting in this heavy lift and then they'll go, hmm, anybody want to read this passage? I can do that. <laughs> so I'll just read the passage and then everybody gives me a pat on the back because I'm a good boy. And if you, then the real people yeah. are, you know. Dog, I have learned, I learned a long time ago that there's two ways to get through life if you're a dumbass like me. You, If you know how to read, just read. Yeah. Read things out loud and laugh at people's jokes. Yeah. <laughs> Even if they're not funny. Be unfailingly polite. <laughs> And try to have an uh, an encyclopedic knowledge of music and film, and you can navigate life beautifully while being a functionally <laughs> moronic. Yeah, because I'm going to tell you something. I am a fucking idiot. You don't understand. Like I was raised in an oil patch, so I, that means I'm at least like eight years behind the rest of the left in terms of like theory and history. Like, I'm still so far behind. But you got a grizzled working person's facade, so it's like, <laughs> exactly. it bumps you up, you know, into the... Yep. Yeah. Just coasting, baby. Just coasting. Um. So, anyways, yeah. I mean, like, I'm, I'm astonished. I'm astonished that, like, that's it. Like, that four days ago, everybody was like, World War Three, and now it's fucking, like, every other thing. Nothing. Just out. That's amazing too. Like when people started whispering about World War Two and World War One, which probably I guess probably World War One wasn't called World War One. <laughs> probably called something else and then later changed to World War One. But when they started whispering about World War Two, that probably wasn't something that dissipated in seventy two hours. No. <laughs> Definitely not. Let me ask you a question. Without social media do you think this conflict would have been quashed already? Man, I don't know. Um <clears throat> Well, without, I mean, or, just the rapid spread of information being what it is. Or you mean, do you mean with without social media, do you think it would have kept going on? Or are you are you saying that social media helped quash I it? think social media is probably, um, does at least something to um, hinder new wars from starting. I kind of agree, weirdly enough. You know I what I mean? I agree with you on this kind of... Because I, I feel like... For some weird reason, you can hold people to account easier. Like, if you look at the Iraq War, all this shit wasn't around then. Facebook hadn't even kicked off, really. Well, you know, you can see the faces of people in Iran and see them as people. And so the propaganda that they feed you, you know, that these are, you know, barbarians and they're fucking religious zealots in a death cult. You can see that this is bullshit. Nah, yeah, it's just bullshit. Like, these are people just like us. There is, this is going to sound super fucked up, but I'm just saying this as somebody from Eastern Kentucky that grew up being fed a steady diet of that shit. When I see somebody from Iran on Twitter, it's just a college student tweeting normal things that I would be tweeting, I always have that like, oh shit. They really are like us. You know what I mean? Like <laughs> that kind of moment. Well, and I don't mean that like in a no, I know what you mean. racist way or anything like that. It's just like I have just been so programmed and I don't think this way intellectually anymore. Yeah. But that's still like there to think of people in the Muslim world as like sort of, you know, from this antiquated period where, you know, yeah. They're still doing all, you know, these, you know, 
racist things that Aladdin depicts or whatever. You know what I mean? <laughs> well, yeah, it's this thing, like, anybody in our generation and the generation probably right before us, like Gen X, yeah. has been inculcated from day one in nonstop anti-Arab, anti-Iranian, uh, anti-Muslim paranoia, propaganda, just wall-to-wall. Wall-to-wall. You know? Yeah. And so, and so, even if you are, you know, like you're saying, like even if you know better and you're intelligent, it's just like it's still hard to like break down what you've been programmed to think. Yeah. Because like that's, I mean, because again, like, um, you know, let's see. After nine eleven, I was right after I was thirteen when nine eleven happened. I was about fifteen when we went to war in Iraq. I, I mean. <clears throat> Those like th- th- that time was so different than right now because like I mean I can't really put it in the words. I think more than any other thing that's what radicalized me just because I saw how insane all the adults were acting. Yeah. You know what I mean? And like just the fear everybody had. And 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 they pointed this out I think on the most recent Chapo and it's true. It's like if you were even remotely anti-war. And I'm and I'm saying this as a 15 year old who was anti war. You would get immediately castigated and scolded, or out you know outed as a pariah. And in my case, would get literally scolded by adults, by teachers who are supposed to be telling you to think for yourself and think critically and all this. No, it was complete conformity at all times. I mean, like you had to conform. The U.S. was at war. You had to line up behind Bush. Dude, those were some deep, those were dark times, man. Well, very fascist. and I, Very fascist. And also, I think, too, the thing that's kind of interesting coming out of all this is, and connected to that social media thing, curbing, you know, this sort of wars and stuff, I think you are starting to see the, you know, sort of the thread run bare of American imperialism in terms of, like, our ability to, like, gin up support all over the, all over the globe and everything. Yeah. It's like... Like Boris Johnson was just notoriously mum, like just very mum oh, about this. That's true. Like the only thing I really saw from the British government about this was from Corbyn, right? Who seemed to be like fucking, you know, working overtime to try yeah. to prevent Britain jumping in. Yeah, just like they did in two thousand three. Yeah, and so I think more than anything, what's happened is, I think it's twofold. I think one, it's just that spread of information that goes so fast and it's easier to cut through the propaganda but the second thing is is we are just starting to show the signs of an empire in decline yeah that we don't we can't just call up our buddies and form these like big broad coalitions anymore right. which is the only way you stop the war machine <laughs> right honestly dude you're right well another thing i was thinking about is how iran has leveraged social media mm-hmm. i mean have you noticed this like in many ways, they've been able to demonstrate and show themselves as more level-headed than the United States in the arena of public opinion globally. Right. Which is pretty fascinating. Yeah. I mean, totally. again, like like we said on the Patreon, like if you're Iran, like a lot of your short-term interests in the region have just been handed to you on a silver platter. So, I mean, you don't even really need to retaliate militarily like a big in a big way in the short term more than that you can just kind of sit back and win hearts and minds yeah. because look 
I mean, like, granted, I'm not saying that America has um, received widespread acceptance worldwide, especially, you know, not after 2003, but, like, it is even easier now to portray America as this militaristic, just bloodthirsty war machine, um, especially with a guy like Trump at the helm, right. which is ironic because, like, he has no strategy. Trump has no larger plans for anything. You right. know what I mean? Everybody's like, oh, look at him looking presidential. <laughs> <laughs> like, he's not even, like... Bush, who was so stupid, like he let himself be more or less a pump, a puppet of like Cheney, Cheney's like long term plans in the region and Wolfowitz and all these other people. There are no one like, there's no one like that around Trump except Pompeo, and Pompeo can't even fucking control the guy. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, like, like he has no no strategy or anything. No, I don't know, man. I mean, I think that it is more ripe than ever. To take that fucking White House, <laughs> like, it really is. It is fucking so right for it the taking. And also, here's the other thing too that we just, you know, we just defraud ourselves about. We've never did anything in war that was remotely successful without these broad coalitions. Yeah, the French won the Revolutionary War for us. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you know, Marquis de Lafayette and the boys didn't show up. We're probably fucking in our end. We would still be colonies, colonies of Great, of Great Britain, <laughs> yeah, and talking very differently, probably. Yep. So it's um, it's interesting to see that uh, the one thing that like our ability to like um, sort of inspire confidence in other places to get them involved in our little imperialistic adventures, yeah, is on the wane, and therefore the the war machine for as much money as we're spending on kind of neutered outside of like shit like what Trump's doing like now I'm not saying we're not still bloodthirsty and won't do drone strikes and whatever else but yeah it's telling that we probably can't launch a new land war yep you know what I mean which is a good thing yeah no bring the troops home close the military bases there's what throw down your weapons people like let's just fucking (laughs) let's just (laughs) I mean and it, it was and we pointed this out on the Patreon but like it was really great to see Bernie basically saying, like, not only that, like, I will stop in by any means necessary us going to war, but that we need to completely pull out of the Middle East. Yeah. Which is, you know, I mean, okay, so the linchpin in all of this is Israel. Like, you know, like, for, for Bernie's, for there to be a consistent thread there, for Bernie to really mean that, his, his um, you know, his line on Israel is going to have to change. Totally. Um, so, I mean, I don't know. Take it with a grain of salt. Obama also said we're going to do a lot of things and then didn't do it. And so, you know, I, I don't know. But, I mean, Bernie's not Obama, and I'm not, I'm not trying to draw that comparison. I'm just saying that, like, um, you know, once people get into office, there are, uh, is an entire military, you know, apparatus and infrastructure that then bears down on the person in the office and it's like we've said multiple times you know like what does that mean for bernie if he was to win does he wind up like evo or does he wind up like you know i don't know anyways the point i'm trying to make though is that there's only one person that's actually being consistent about all this and it's bernie yeah and uh and that's important because like to me, the Soleimani thing just shows that, like, 
you know, it's like you've said before, like how cavalier we are in these sort of imperial acts. Yeah. And, uh, I mean, shit, something like, if if Trump can just, like, ice one of the most important dudes in the Middle East, like, what's to stop him from doing it again to yeah. someone else? You know what I mean? Like, who won't have the restraint that Iran has had during all of this. Yeah. You know, Iran has had in- incredible level-headedness and restraint during all this. Like, well, at fucking Hezbollah. Yeah. <laughs> As they even said, we're not attacking American citizens because we're playing on the barbarians' terms now. Yeah. <laughs> yes, exactly. But Hezbollah is exhibiting a lot more restraint and, and measurement than yeah. we are, which is, you know, probably... I see what you're saying because, like, personally, I'm, uh, you know, pro Hezbollah. Yeah, I mean, I think we're on the record as being pro Hezbollah. I'm just saying. You're saying hypothetically. For you uninitiated out there, if you need. Yeah. Well, that's what I was going to book in that with. It's like, actually, Hezbollah usually is more level headed right. measured than the U.S. government. Exactly. A lot, all these groups are because they have long term goals, ambitions, interests, and strategies. Yeah. Whereas the the United States is a, it's they're never in communication with each other. It is just shoot first, ask questions later. It's like the David Frum thing. It's like, uh, you know, I posted that from the Dexter Filkins profile of Soleimani. How Soleimani in two thousand, uh, in the early two thousands was at great political risk to himself, advocating within the Iranian government that maybe we need to reevaluate our relationship with the United States. Maybe Because it had been in an adversarial since the hostage crisis. Right. What fucking completely destroyed all that, any hopes of, of ever rebuilding that connection, was Bush's Axis of Evil speech, yeah. written by David Frum. And, and the thing is, the, 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 to me, the crazy thing about that, it's crazy enough that, like... That that they wrote that speech and that they thought it would be a good idea and everything. It's even crazier to me that they did not inform their diplomats in the State Department, on the ground, in the Middle East, etc., that they were going to be saying that and doing that. Yeah. So what happened was just mass chaos. Yeah. And that's how the American Empire works. Yeah, it's, yeah, it's like everybody wants to talk about, and listen, when I say this, I'm not defending Hillary Clinton or, or Fugazi. <laughs> <laughs> but it's like, it's, it's, it's the, that type of shit we do that... You know, if if we're as unsafe abroad as we think we are, or even here, that causes that, yeah. or at least engenders that feeling. You know, and I, I mean, I think it's much ado about nothing. I think the odds of the United States being attacked in a traditional like military bombing campaign are pretty slim. But, um, you know, yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, what it what it does? I mean, I don't know. It, it's uh. I think the the larger point here is that um, a, a, the United States is a global force for terrorism, or, you know, the biggest, in fact. Yeah. Uh, pretty much, you know, vast majority. We share the lion's share of violence and terrorism around the globe. Yeah, we the that's we have to. I mean, it's it's and particularly if you you've been indoctrinated in that stuff for as long as we have, and people like where we're from have. It's a hard thing to come to grips with. Yeah. You know? But when you get a sort of a revelation of that, that like, oh, wait, we create a good chunk of the world's problems to pillage resources, to put our own leaders in power, yeah. wherever we want them, et cetera. Well, I mean, there's a few. There's only a few more points I want to hit on this before we just move on to the next thing. But um, another one I wanted to hit on was 
you know, at times like this, I think the left's role has to be, and especially in this moment where all you fucking hear anybody talk about when they talk about Medicare for all is how are you going to pay for that? Yeah. Not just Medicare for all. I mean, all the other problems that we have in front of us. Like, how are you going to pay for that? Where's this money come from? And it's just like, as we said earlier, you got 750 military bases around the globe doing what? What the fuck are they doing? Yeah. Why the fuck do we need to be in all of these places? Yeah. We don't. We don't. And, uh, and so, I mean, for me, it, I mean, it's obvious. It's uh, Maybe it's simplifying it, like, you know. I, I'm fully aware that, like, uh, it's not just as easy as getting in the White House. We're going to shut down the military and then put all the money in the Medicare for all. I understand that. But it does, it should be, you know, a, a nice little grand slam for, you know, leftists to be like, well, look, this is what our nation's priorities are. Yeah, It's not taking care of you. Right. You know, it's making sure you are as miserated as possible until it needs you to go fight a war. Right. And then we're going to treat you like shit. And then we're going to treat you like shit after when that, you too. Back, you know, we'll be able to get proper treatment, proper right. benefits, none right. of that shit. But if you go on an airplane, they might stand up and give you a standing ovation at the end. And you'll get, um, you know, a good parking spot at Walmart. Actually, you won't even get that because the cops are getting that. The cops get the treated, cops have supplanted the yeah, troops. As the, the cops get treated way better than the troops. A hundred percent. hundred percent. Another thing I wanted to bring up about this, the only other thing I wanted to bring up about this, is, like, do you think that part of the State Department and Pentagon's and et cetera, their decision and not to not to really hit back after Iran's quote-unquote retaliation, do you think that part of it was because there's no public support for a war like this? It does, seems to me like there's no public support. No, there's, yeah, there's not. There's yeah. not. It's just, there's just, I mean, nobody's into this. Nobody's... And that's that's like, yeah. It just that's. I mean, I think that's the most glaring thing for me. Yeah, our traditional allies are just sitting this one out. Our allies are sitting this out. The public, no one gives a fuck. No, <laughs> I mean, couple of hashtag World War Three tweets, but yeah, they mostly turned into dick jokes and yeah. whatever else. The funniest tweets on there are like guys who work for the National Review who are like, "I live in New York. If New York gets hit, we will level Tehran. Like, I'm ready to." You know, people who think that by virtue of where they live, like, they get rewarded some medal of bravery. Yeah. I mean, and only conservatives think like this. Yeah. Like, only war-hungry conservatives yeah. think that, like, living in D.C. puts... And them... us, the Appalachian land. <laughs> That's true. Yeah. And us. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, anyways... um, Well, you want to move on to... that? That's all I got for... Okay, uh, next topic. Next topic, all right. <laughs> Next topic, we got a good one. We got a nice little, <clears throat> we got a nice little op-ed to hit. Tom, are you ready for I'm it? I'm ready for it. <laughs> okay, <laughs> been ready for it. Uh, all right, it is in the Louisville Courier Journal, published on January third, twenty twenty. Opinion: Visit Appalachia, see the progress, support the work to reinvent Eastern Kentucky. <laughs> <laughs> Man, uh, let me tell you about let me tell you about Eastern Kentucky and Appalachia. I went to Ohio. I guess was that Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday. Yeah, Tuesday night to see our buddies. And uh, I texted my friend Nick Kraft from Gal Plus, Ohio. This is kind of lives up that way. I said, "Man, I'd like to see you for a little time." I didn't have enough time, so I couldn't get up with him. But 
he sent me a message back this morning. He said, you smell that crisp air? He said, everything you've been breathing has been filtered through scrubbers and lime dust. <laughs> At, uh, anyway, I don't know where I was going. <laughs> I was going. I'm just saying, point being, that flash has got some problems. <clears throat> All right, the author of this piece is Brooke Smith. Um, and so I, I can't decide if I want to give you a biography of Brooke Smith before or after I read the first line of this piece of shit. But um, why don't we do it after? All right, here we go. The mountains of Appalachia are just as much part of Kentucky as the skyscrapers in Louisville. <laughs> wow. So, okay, so the reason why this is funny to me, um, and uh, and the reason why we're going with a little bit of, um, you know, some niche Appalachian con- uh, content here, um, is that the guy who wrote this works for or not works for owns a surety bond company right right it's called smith manis surety bonds (laughs) one of the things they do is they provide bonds for environmental remediation so basically they insure strip mining right right is that how this works right and when those bonds come due and payable um, usually what they do is, oh, well, look what I've given this much money to this and this and this and this and this and this to try to kind of stave it off a little bit. But, um, but yeah, it's, um, it's interesting because, you know, it's almost like you've seen that little clip going around with Bernie talking about the Iran thing not the not this recent like Soleimani killing but like when Trump was you know talking big a yeah little, yeah, two yeah. Months before that and he said it's almost like somebody sets a trash can on fire right and then when they go and they put the fire on the trash can they won't praise for it right this is what this mirrors to me basically yes that is exactly right this guy has made millions we're not talking like this isn't even a hyper hyperbole. It's probably made billions. No, I definitely not billions, but definitely millions yeah. off of the absolute environmental destruction, just demolition of Appalachia. And one thing I just <laughs> want to say about the part of Kentucky thing, not for nothing, I just want to say that I think the hills and the trees in eastern Kentucky are actually more part of Kentucky than these huge monuments to corporations that dot the skylines of right. the cities. <laughs> Just want to say that. So there's a rich irony here, and again, this isn't this is not just something that's like relevant to just Appalachia because I'm sure every community has a Brooksmith. If every rural or urban community has some rich asshole who has participated in the pillaging of that community for its resources, the exploitation and destruction of the people there, and then has positioned themselves as some benevolent philanthropist who's plugging money back into the community. Right, right. And so that's what this op-ed is. It is a commercial for his own good works. Right. And so that's why the title of it is Visit Appalachia. See the progress. Support the work to reinvent Eastern Kentucky. And meanwhile, I mean, if you want to like just, just, you know, a sampling of headlines just from the last few months... Um, this is like the progress in eastern Kentucky that's been going on. Uh, more than $1.7 million in funds to boost security in eastern Kentucky schools. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
Uh, our own Letcher County is now a Second Amendment sanctuary county. I know. I saw that. <laughs> um, I was reading on WYMT the other day, like their top ten stories of the year 2019. I shit you not, dude. Six of them were about like meth or opioid driven deaths. You know what I mean? Like those are the top stories. Oh shit! Like, dude, dude we are at the epicenter of a place that has been completely ravaged by either coal mining, timber removal, pharmaceutical, ph- pharmaceutical. <laughs> like pre- pre- you know, predation, and like, I don't know, just the sur- surreality, is that the word? The surreal nature. Of- <laughs> okay, the surreal nature of like, of someone who's had a hand in that, then being like, I've, I've, uh, you know, we're making progress. Now, let me tell you something. <laughs> it's like the Malcolm X quote. You don't stab a man in the back nine inches, pull it out four, and celebrate your progress. That's exactly right. <laughs> so this is what he says. Um, Each of these communities rises and falls on the shoulders of the great people of our commonwealth. We should proudly embrace every unique part of our great state for the common good. While my home and businesses are in Louisville, <laughs> much of the success I've been blessed with and many of my friends and acquaintances have come from my decades of work in Eastern Imagine Kentucky. Imagine that. <laughs> Imagine that. How, let me ask you a question. How many rich assholes on this planet can say that? No. For your work in Eastern <laughs> Kentucky. Like, you're just copping to using it as a resource colony. Like, exactly. That's just all you're saying. Openly. <laughs> You aren't down. You aren't down here, fucking. Uh, you know, curing river blindness, and you know, fucking. Yeah. So building homes or whatever. What his, what his. So we've said what he does. What how he made his millions. What his commercial in the Courier Journal is for is for his nonprofit, right? It's a nonprofit or a foundation. It's called the Appalachian Impact Fund. Some part the work to reinvent Eastern Kentucky. Um, so this is what they do: they take money, um, that Brooke made in his work in Eastern Kentucky. <laughs> his work in Eastern Kentucky, which is one way to put it, <laughs> and then plug it back into other nonprofits who are just treating the symptoms of capitalism. Right. And so we'll get to that in a minute because he itemizes those things, like you know. He's got to show off a little bit, so he'll itemize them here in a minute for you. But this is the lead-up to it. That's why my wife, Pam, and I have committed to doing everything we can to help this special region help itself through the long healing and reinvention ahead as it reels from a sun-setting coal economy. Well, here's a novel idea. How about you give every dime you've ever made in surety to these families who are dying from opioid addiction and the consequences of it and everything else people who are dying from the consequences of what you aided and abetted by insuring these vultures <laughs> that's how you do that not not uh throwing coming to town and fucking glad handing with everybody and throwing seventy thousand dollars to a community kitchen you know what i mean yeah. or throwing <laughs> whatever i mean the thing is is like you know and look i don't think there's anything like inherently wrong with that but when you're rehabilitating guys like this, honestly, I'm, I, 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 I don't know. Maybe I'm just saying this because I want to make a point. Yeah. But in some ways, I think these people are e- even bigger vultures than coal than the coal industry itself. Because look, the coal industry is just—I mean, 
Well, I mean, they're it they're, is what it is. They're doing the same shit. I mean, they're killing. They're. I mean, I'm not saying. But but at least the coal industry. Well, okay, maybe up until about 20 years ago, the coal industry was never cloaking itself in this kind of like we're doing good for the community. Of course, they started doing that with the Friends of Coal right, stuff. Right, right, and, right, right. But but like. You know, for the most part, the story has been, we just want your fucking resources, give it to us, or you're fucking dead. Right. <laughs> Which is like, okay. <laughs> you know what I mean? I can fight against this. Yeah, 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 yeah. But what this fucking asshole is doing is he's, like, taking your shit, but he's also at the same time, like, rubbing your back and trying to make you feel better about it. Okay. Like, oh, I'm not that bad because, look, I'm giving, I'm, I'm not giving them you the money. Of course, I can't do that. Yeah. But I, like you said, I will give it to the community kitchen up the road. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you and your family can abstractly benefit from. Yeah, but you never fucking will because none of this shit ever fucking works. Yeah. Anyways, Cole's long slow decline has hurt the region, and Kentucky residents every day face the many challenges of a displaced economy. What the fuck is a displaced economy? Okay. Also, too, not for nothing, but if you're the guy that is bonding out these outfits, okay that are using these mountaintop removal techniques, which is, I mean, just, I mean, matters of what we believe aside, devastating the workforce, causing coal production to go through the roof, but coal jobs to just decline precipitously. Right. right. Like, you too have a direct hand in the coal <laughs> economy's decline, even on the face of it. Right, you have no fucking right yeah. to talk about a displaced economy. A displaced economy. <laughs> you helped do the displacing. You did the displacing. Yeah. But Appalachia is also a place of immense history, culture, innovative, and smart people who are not wringing their hands in absolute frustration, but instead working with one another to move the region forward. Like six people. (laughs) We created the Appalachian Impact Fund as a catalytic response. A catalytic response. Catalytic converter in a car. (laughs) It's a catalytic. It's a catalyst. He's a, it's a catalyst. I is think, what he's going for. I think he means a catalyst. But it's appalling usage, sir. But <laughs> go on. Um, great nonprofit speak, by the way. Right. They love that shit. A catalytic response to these challenges. A fund to fuel continued momentum in the mountains, connected deeply to communities with a focus on expanding entrepreneurial opportunities and increasing opportunity in all community building sectors. It's the first investment strategy of its kind to tackle every slice of the revitalization pie, and I invite all Kentuckians to be part of this journey. For those wanting to place a bet on Appalachia, the odds have shifted from long shot to favorite. (laughs) (laughs) Bro, listen, I've been making a book. I've been a bookmaker as long as I can remember, till recently. And I would never in a million years say that Appalachia is a favorite for anything except for <laughs> certain death and misery. And I don't say that in in like a black-pilled tee-hee-ha-ha sense. What I'm saying is that as I long do. as people like this have purchase and as long as sort of the people in power here that pull the purse strings that need something from this guy, mm-hmm. we have to we have to wipe all that out. Yes, absolutely. That whole sort of system of patronage and clientage to your wealthy benefactors from a handful of people in the community that got in on the ground floor of that racket and listen i I, we've said it many times you and i in some ways are progenitors of that culture and listen to us when we say we know this is bad stuff absolutely yeah because it doesn't empower anybody no it's not i and and my, my ideology of marxism aside 
we gave it a fair go. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, we entertained this shit for way longer than we probably should have. That's exactly right. That yeah. is exactly right. For those wanting to place a... Okay, uh, working from the bottom up, our investment fund's goal is to create lasting change in a region that has had so much extracted from it. By you, bitch. By you. AIF is supporting... Our Appalachian Impact Fund is supporting a community-led movement from a mono-economy to a diverse, vibrant one that can provide long-term economic sustainability. And we're doing this by taking direction from the people who matter most, Eastern Kentuckians who know their challenges and solutions best. What they mean by that is they mean rich Eastern Kentuckians. Rich Eastern Kentuckians, <laughs> the power brokers. The power brokers. Yeah. <laughs> they don't the gatekeepers. Mean, yeah, they don't mean the fucking... Starla working at the Double Quick. No. You know, no, who no. has two jobs at Double Quick and McDonald's. No. Working 80 hours. That's not what they mean. I don't mean Jeff from Perk Creek. You know, <laughs> no. runs a garage out of his home. You no, know what I mean? No. We see the fund as a center of a quilt. Oh, I love, I love uh, when they do these analogies and metaphors and nonprofits. Quilt is one. Garden is another one. Like, yeah. in the Just Transition Garden, you have to have a diverse... <laughs> what did I ever do to you? <laughs> We see the fund as a center of a quilt, and each square in that quilt is one of the many people, partnerships, and initiatives working in the areas of community economic development, job training, education, affordable housing, rural child care, arts and culture, entrepreneurship, local food and food security, substance abuse recovery, and more. Together, these squares are helping to rebuild a stronger region. You are certainly squares, I'll give you that. <laughs> Here are some examples. <laughs> the Housing Development Alliance is helping people recovering from substance abuse disorders successfully reenter the workforce with paid on-the-job training <laughs> and residential construction. The first of 15 new affordable and energy-efficient houses to be built over three years will be complete in early 2020. Bro, that's got to be bullshit, right? Yeah. That's got to be fucking bullshit. Even if it's not, who the fuck cares? Yeah. <laughs> it's not fucking... Okay. 15 new affordable energy efficient houses? That's 15 houses. Yeah. If you have millions of dollars, <laughs> what the fuck are you doing building 15 houses? Yeah. Anyways. Uh, downtown revitalization projects. Uh, this is my favorite one, though. Um, earlier I said that you know we'd be listing his accomplishments because he was listing his accomplishments. This one's my favorite. A partnership with the James Beard Foundation and Fund for the Arts. <laughs> will expand culinary arts programming throughout the region, creating opportunities in the restaurant sector and combating food insecurity. <laughs> I shit you not, dude. What the fuck? Man, let me tell you something. If Sean Brock, who is, you know, the granddaddy of the whole Appalachian sort of, you know, bougie restaurant, James Beard award-winning thing, if he is choosing to take his little food academy thing to Nashville and not pound Virginia where he's from. <laughs> it's like everybody makes their name off of... Like I, like, I have no qualms if you've went off, you've made some money doing whatever you're doing, and you come back here and want to, like, start something, okay? Like, that's just that's just kind of how that world works. You yeah, know what I mean? Yeah. The give-back world or whatever. Right. You know what I mean? Like, does it avail much in the long run? That's an open question, but whatever. But that's not even this. No. No. <laughs> no. These guys want to just do stuff on the periphery, but get their street credentials from, you know, being from here or having some sort of connection here or whatever. Yep. You know what I mean? There's nothing 
Ain't nobody's trying to do nothing here. It's the all-star thing. It's rich people in Louisville who have pillaged the region for its resources and millions, have exploited people in the process, and then need to plug money back into it, not because it'll make them look better, because they don't care about that. Trust me. The the millionaires and billionaires, they don't fucking give a shit about their public image. They're doing it because it's good for them and their taxes. Because what happens if you're a millionaire or a billionaire or any rich person is that the government will expropriate your money through taxes. And the way you get around that is through philanthropy. It is all about material self-interest. Trust me, it doesn't have shit to do with their public image and like them wanting to give back. It's all a fucking long con to avoid putting back any meaningful uh, you know, input back into um, the economy that they took so fucking much from and got yeah. their millions from. Right. And so they'll do that all day. They'll do that all day long. And um, and then, though, what is really, really, really gets sinister and why we call them the all-stars is because they will continue taking the cultural, cultural capital. capital. <laughs> exactly. Sure. The music and the art and the food. Yeah. They'll fucking eat that shit up all day. They'll go to their conferences and talk about how great the food is and how we're losing food waste and all this shit. Yeah. They'll talk about how we're... How fuck- they're Tyler Childers' cousin. Exactly. And they're t- very proud of their success and all that shit. Exactly. About how they're fucking learning, learning claw hammer banjo or yeah. whatever the fuck. Yeah. Because, look, they like all that stuff because, look... Oh, look, trust me. I've lived here for eight years. That stuff's good. The right. music's good. The music's Food's good. Good. The food's good. Art's good. Art's good. Yeah. Uh, We're not short on those things. No, no. But it's just like anything else. Like they, yeah, they, they'll, they'll continue to fucking take all that, and uh, and plenty of people fall for it. Plenty of smart people I know will yeah. fall for that. Um, and uh, it's really tragic. Yeah. Um, the fund's three hundred sixty degree approach is seeing an increase in support from national foundations. And other partners who are confident that supporting this work will continue to produce similar results in long-term benefits. 360 degrees. <laughs> I mean, 180. <laughs> I don't know, I guess. <laughs> Is this fund going to be used to, to do surety bonds again? <laughs> I guess they mean, like, they see everything. Oh, okay. I, I think that's what they're yeah, saying. Yeah. Like, we've got a holistic image. Right. We see the macro image. Right. As we turn the corner on 2020 and you consider what new beginnings or resolutions this milestone of a new decade means to you... I invite you to think about Eastern Kentucky and remember that Appalachia is your sister community. You can support this work financially through giving, or you can support this work with your time by participating in some of the many organizations needing talent or volunteers. Or you can sell, <laughs> you can support this work by engaging in class warfare. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, if it hasn't been clear to you at this point, well, and, and this is the thing, a lot of people will respond with this, because trust me, if you talk shit about me behind my back, it's gotten back to me, and yeah. I know a lot of you have and have said, well, what are they going? What's their solution? They talk about class warfare. What are they? What are they proposing? At least we're doing concrete on the ground shit. And my response to that is like, okay, you know, you have a fair point. point. We don't have a paramilitary army. We yet. don't have. A- <laughs> <laughs> good point. That is a good point. Yeah. That is a good point. Um, however, I do think a crucial part of what we're doing is we're spreading an idea, yeah. and it's a very Important idea. It's the most important, important idea, idea in the history of ideas. <laughs> That's exactly right. And you can't, and let me tell you something. You'll never be able to top that. You'll never, exactly. It's the sweet science. That is that is exactly right. No matter what fucking fancy catalytic words, whatever the fuck you want to call it, you put it in your grant reports, no matter how many rich people you cozy up to in the process and 
it helps you sleep better at night because you've given yourself back, you know, given back to the region. It will never, ever be as good of a story or uh, or an explanation for how the world works right. as class warfare. Right. Because at the end of the day, that's what it comes down to. And quite frankly, you're not qualified to speak on class warfare. <laughs> no, because you're rich. <laughs> yeah. So fuck off anyways. <laughs> but... There are plenty of people who aren't rich who work for these nonprofits and foundations who have to grovel to these fucking assholes yeah. every fucking day. And um and I think that this is partially, you know, this is a good way to start 2020. We've hammered this point home many, many times, but if you're one of those people, just like I once was until I got my shit stuffed, uh <laughs> then uh you know, doesn't mean you have to like quit your job. It doesn't mean that you have to uh, get fired. Don't do that. All it means is that you should start organizing your uh, your organizations. Start talking to the people you work with, because there is a there's an entire community of people out there, an entire world of people out there. Like we were saying, Jeff works out of his garage, Starla works at the fucking double quick, whatever, who are seeing. No improvement in their lives. Things yeah. get worse year after year after year. Yeah. These nonprofits don't do fucking shit. There's one person currently running for president that is offering a, just a little bit of a relief from that. You know, and and even then, I don't know if it'll work. That person, no. Amy Klobuchar. That person is Amy Klobuchar. <laughs> <laughs> um, and so I'm not saying, and so I'm not saying either that you know, you know, uh. I don't know. Like I said, don't quit your job, whatever. But start talking to your coworkers. We have to defeat this idea. We have to defeat this fucking idea that, like, as you were saying, this network of patronage and clientage or, or, or uh, you know, benevolent capitalism or even a reformed capitalism or anything like that, that it's going to save us. Because, right. no, it, 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 by its very design, it support, it's supposed to perpetuate the system. Yeah. And, and that's why I'm, tr I'm trying to... I hope that we have done a good job in explaining that and yeah. removing the contradictions. These people don't do this to save face. They don't do this because they want a nicer capitalism. They do it for themselves because it helps them as a class. Yeah, and and if they have a, 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 uh, an inkling, just an inkling of shame about those things, it's to assuage that shame. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> right. That's exactly right. Um, so, most importantly, I invite you to visit Appalachia. Visit the new and expanding businesses. Experience the culture and take in the beautiful landscapes. See the progress. Listen and meet the people who are leading themselves and our state to a brighter future. Fuck off. I mean, if you want to visit us, that's fine. Come get us and then we'll go <laughs> march and get our check. <laughs> but, th th I don't know. That is the fucking, that's the most disgusting thing I've ever heard, man. Um... But yeah, no. And then the thing too is like, and we've covered this many times. Is like, you know, we talk about evil capitalism. Evil, like, capitalism's not evil; it's amoral. Okay, exactly. that's what's intended to do. The evil part is that the, the its adherents know this, but in order to uphold this system, there has to be losers for capitalism to work. Exactly. You cannot have egalitarianism. Not everybody can have a dignified life, and that's where. The moral conundrum comes in. So, like, all these people trying to reform, make it nicer capitalism, you still have to have losers. You still have to have people that need your largesse. Yep. Okay? <clears throat> None of the things that are outlined in this story are going to work unless there are losers. Yeah. I mean, I say that 
one hundred percent seriously. There has to be losers. There has to be losers. Yeah. And so it's choice. It it just it really is a choice. Like what kind of world do you want to see? Yeah. You make one that choice. One where there has to be losers, or one where everybody has a dignified life. That's exactly right. Um. So, uh. Yeah. I mean, embrace Marxism, <laughs> unless you're rich, in which case you can't. It it's like oil and water. You can't be even in the top five percent and and be like, okay, uh, these trillbilly guys make some good points. They make some very cogent points. If you want to help out, um. You know, I, I'm not even going to say give us money. I would say kill yourself, but <laughs> I'm not that. <laughs> I'm not that cruel, but I, uh, but I, but I do, I do advocate for something similar. Maybe like remove yourself from the world. Like go to what's Jeffrey Epstein's island? Uh, okay, maybe don't do that. I would say what Jesus said to the rich young ruler. <laughs> Give, us Give away all you have and take up your cross and follow us. Okay, that's a good one. Yeah. I mean, which is a funny thing because if you tell people that, if you tell rich people that, they'll never do it. Well, yeah, the rich young ruler didn't do it. <laughs> the rich, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, yeah, I don't know. But you could also donate to us. Uh, I mean, not, again, if you're rich, I don't really want your money, but I kind of do because <laughs> I need to pay off of healthcare. <laughs> um, but but seriously, if you want to listen to more Trailblazers, go to the Patreon, um, p a t r u n dot com slash Trailblazers Workers Party. Get us back over ten k, would you? Yeah, help. <laughs> that us was get... a very that was a psychic dent to me. <laughs> it was. It was demoralizing. <laughs> to dip back under. I'd reached the promised land, and then it was just. I, which I'm bitching about nothing. I mean, I'm very, very blessed to have everybody giving money and listening to us and giving a shit. So. Well, I'm I'm the I'm the, now the I was telling Nick Hayes this the other day. I'm now the brokest trillbilly. So, um, you two motherfuckers have jobs. <laughs> Man, I don't know. Um, See me the derelict situation I woke up in this morning. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, point take. Point take it. All right, all right. Well, go support us. Uh, we'll have a good episode for you over at the Patreon. Hope you've had a good New Year, and uh, we look forward to another good one with you. See you out there.